What is up, designers? My name is Dallas, and this is the Grand Design Podcast, where we answer the question that should be on every designer's mind all day, every day. How do I take the ideas in my head and bring them out into the world in the form of mass movements? Okay, um, this episode right here is the last in um, this little series of four uh, card, you know, called your leveraging your unique identity to create a mass movement. And uh, if you haven't heard the first three episodes leading up to this one, I really recommend you go back and listen to them in chronological order to, to kind of make sense of how we got to this point in the story in the first place. Um, just to give a, li- a little recap of the last episode. Um, the last episode, you know, I was, you know, 4,000 some miles in California away from my home in Maryland with my friends, family, parents, you know, whatever, the whole thing, you know. It's me and my girlfriend. We're kind of all alone. Um, my girlfriend's kind of paying for us to live. Um, and I'm trying to figure out this whole business thing. And I've been failing over and over and over again at the whole business thing and promising that we would win and have money for about two years straight. Um, I'm about $5,000 in a hole. You know, uh, my credit is about a 430. Uh, this is January of 2020. Um, you know, my bank account is... In overdraft, meaning I owe the bank probably about a hundred dollars, maybe about fifty to a hundred dollars at this point. I don't really remember, but it was pretty bad even still. Um, and literally, like I'm almost broken. You know, I'm sitting in a hotel called the Ramada Hotel here in California, uh, all the way across the country, and I didn't really know what to do. You know, if we were to, you know, go over a collective of the emotions that I felt, you know, at the forefront of it all. You know, at the surface, you know, what I was feeling, what I was putting out was bitterness, you know, and a feeling of betrayal. Like I felt betrayed because, you know, like everybody who realizes that they're different from the rest of society. You find the culture of people maybe on the Internet and reality that you believe you can follow and support. And these were the Internet marketers, the business people, the entrepreneurs. And I named some of the last podcast and the people that I named, they're brilliant entrepreneurs. And I believe in them to this very day. They've done nothing but good for me in my life. But I felt bitter and betrayed and I felt negative negativity towards them because I did everything they asked. I followed every strategy, every tactic, every method that they asked me to follow. And I, two years, all I did was suffer and I never found success. And it really hurt my feelings. Like, I, you know, I, I felt all alone again. Like I had no one had my back. I felt in the dark. Like I said, sometimes I felt like the loneliest person in the world. And a situation is unwinding around me as time is going on. You know, I don't know how we're going to eat. Money is very, running very low. I don't know how we're going to get gas. You know, uh, I don't know how the entire situation is going to play out. And on top of it, there's a feeling of I feel emasculated, like I said, because my girlfriend's paying for everything. And, you know, as a partner, I felt like it was my duty to step up and support and help. You know, she's came over here for, you know, to follow her dreams and chase her dreams, which she's, you know, doing and did successfully. But. I'm being a burden to that mission and I feel that emotion on me. I felt, as I always describe it, at the bottom of the world. I felt like I was at the bottom of the world. Like I was, you know, this is another uh, phrase I always say, like I was in the wilderness. You know, like everything was about survival. Everything was about what am I going to do and how can I, you know, how can I be the partner that I said and promised that I was going to be? We were literally stranded within this situation with no way out. And that was kind of the gist of the last podcast episode number three. But also, you know, within that episode, uh, you know, as we talked, you know, uh, we were kind of locked in the place. I don't know if I mentioned that already, but we were locked in the place. Um, We had signed uh, a lease. And so we were going to move into that apartment in that same month, in that same January. I believe we moved in January 18th or January 17th, which was about a, a few days later or something like that. And uh, we were so we were locked into a lease. We weren't making money. And uh, we basically had to scramble to figure out how are we going to make because we had the first two months free. How are we going to make two thousand dollars in this small window when we have no money coming in at all? And money is going out profusely, you know, and money is only really held by one of us and (laughs) not both of us. You know, business isn't working. Our ideas are working. We've been falling short and failing for two years. I've been falling short and failing in my endeavors for two years straight. And I remember just late nights, you know, staying up and looking at the ceiling and just just feeling the weight of tomorrow. Like, man, when I wake up tomorrow morning, it's going to start all over and just setting up a little wish that, man, please, 
let this business thing work, please. But uh, to cut to the chase of this recap, you know, an epiphany washed over me the day, I, uh, you know, one day when I was sitting in that hotel called the Ramada. And the epiphany was that my entire life, you know, I had fought against the idea. Or I, in my entire life, I felt separate. I felt isolated. I felt different from the rest of the population. And I felt like I was marginalized, attacked and bullied and crushed. You know, society attempted to crush me about, you know, over the matter. And because of that, I grew into an identity that was separate from them. I grew into an us versus them type of mentality. Have you experienced, you, you can relate to this, right? You know, as, as someone who's listening to this, so you, you could probably feel what I'm saying. And because of that, you know, I grew into a state of mind that was all about competition. I wanted to be the face of, you know, I wanted to be, I wanted to grow this business from the ground up, uh, from my own hands. Because, you know, I was in a competitive mindset. These people said I could never do it, said I could never be somebody. And they tried to stop me at every corner. I'm going to show them. You know, I'm going to be the superstar of my business. You know, and I'm, 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 I'm going to do it, you know. And so uh, I grew into a competitive mindset. Okay. And I was working and performing on my business and everything that I had, you know, by myself. Because I felt like, I felt, you know, like I said, a competitive mindset was us versus them. You know, and when I was finally, you know, when I would finally get success from the business, you know, I wanted it to be my success, my credit. I wanted all the love and admiration and the power and the glory to be mine, not the next person. I was competing with the next person. I wanted to be better than them and I wanted to show them and I wanted to rub them in their face. This was burning in my mind. But the epiphany that I had was that I had failed and was continuing to fail in business for two years straight. But if I look around the other areas of my life, you know, living, I always had a place to live, food, eating, you know, social life, you know, sports, even I had success almost instantly in those different areas. And what had popped into my mind was because, wait, you want to be the sole force in your life. You want all the credit and glory. You want the ability at the end of all to say I did it on my own. But if you look at the situation, you just spent a few months living with your girlfriend's mom before that you were living with your parents. And, you know, these people are feeding you. These people are clothing you. You know, people went out of their way to buy clothes for me and make sure I was all right. These people took you to the hospital, made sure you were all right, made sure you had a bed and a roof over your head. There's no way at the end of it all, given that history, that you could ever say you did it on your own. You wanted to be the solo person, that, you know, the sole superstar in your business. But one, one thing you didn't realize is that you've never been the sole superstar even in your own life. And I started to backtrack and make calculations and things started to become a little bit more clear. I succeeded in even being alive until this point because and in the other areas of my life, because I had a collaborative mindset in all the other areas of my life. When it comes to housing, you know, sure, I'll make the deal with my parents to stay in this house. You know, when it comes to food, OK, sure, I'll make the deal, you know, with them, which was a lopsided deal, obviously, as their son uh, to you know, stay in this house and eat their food. I'm collaborating in other areas of my life. But when it came to business, I failed profusely because I refused to collaborate. It came on like a light switch and it, it kind of popped in my mind. I realized, man, you can either be the face of a dimly lit movement that will never grow beyond yourself. Or you can be you can meld into the movement. You can be one face of many faces in a movement that is hyper successful. That's the thing that appealed to me. You, you, you know, the only way to make it is to be the rising tide that raises all ships. You have to collaborate with people. You have to empathize with people, then collaborate, you know, on, on the basis of the findings of your empathy. That's what I realized. And when I opened my mind and realized I was failing as a business, you know, as, in my business endeavors, it was because I was trying to be selfish in an act, which is business that is, by essence, unselfish. Every part of it, every instance of it. You know, business is about solving problems for people in the world. It's unselfish. You don't get currency into your business unless you think of other people first and collaborate, make the best deal for your clients. Give them more value than they're giving you in cash. That's how business works. And being selfish, I realized I was structuring every deal that I ever tried to make. And that's why I always felt negative and slimy and bad. And the sales that I make just didn't feel right because every deal was structured to make me better. To make me better, to make me the best. Okay? There are two ways you can structure business, man. 
in my personal opinion. I don't, you know, I'm not gonna say I'm not the leading expert. I'm documenting this as I go along, but you can structure it in a way that makes you rich like I was doing. There are so many positions that were to be filled in the ghostwriting business. I'm not going to name them all just yet, but there are so many positions and I'm doing all the positions because I'm structuring this business to boost me up, to make me rich, to make my status go, to make me look good, to make people love me for once. So I'm doing all these positions so I can keep all the cash to myself. I'm creating a business to fuel a luxury lifestyle. And that's why I'm trying to be a superstar in my business, to, to support a, a status a status boost, a status growth. I'm, I'm trying to take, even with the clients, man, I'm trying to do as little work as possible and trying to get as much money as possible from the work. I'm not empathizing and collaborating with the society around me. And so, the, and so there is no chance of winning because I'm performing in an opportunity that is inherently unselfish. Now you look at all the great businesses, you know, throughout time, the great business owners, and at some, you know, they're, they're all about collaboration. You look at, Elon Musk, when they started PayPal, he had Peter Thiel, Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger, Steve Jobs, Steve Wozniak, Travis Kalanick and his partner in uh, Uber. All these big booming businesses had someone within the business, you know, that they collaborated with. It wasn't a selfish act. It wasn't all about them. Things became more and more progressively clear as I thought about this, you know, even billionaires. They're at the top of the pyramid in their business. They're performing at the highest level of value. But even in that position, they have CMOs, COOs, CFOs, and millions of employees performing under them. The highest level of value can't operate unless the un levels you know, above them, uh, uh, below them in terms of value are in place also. So we create this us versus them idea of society and we try to show them wrong. We try to compete with them. But every other CEO has felt this way throughout time. Like they're different from me. And, you know, they've been against me all my life. They said I couldn't do it. So I'm going to prove them wrong. But you notice every CEO that eventually made it has come to a point of collaborating with that same crowd. Because one can't exist without the other. They all come together at, at, at the end of the day. You know, and that was kind of the realization, you know, uh, that I had, you can either, you know, this is the way, you know, and Russell Brunson said this, uh, he said, I, I was reading an Instagram post by him the other day. He said, money is just the way we keep the score. And so, I, you know, like I said, there are two ways you can structure business. You can use money to keep the score of your self-importance, or you can use money to keep the score of the importance of you to other people in terms of impact is what I mean. I realized that these billionaires who made it, they collaborate because they function in business differently than I tried all my life. I tried to make a business that supported a luxury lifestyle where they're trying to make business that induces luxury and wealth and well-being in the lifestyle of others. And money is just a fuel for that movement. So I wasn't doing, you know, any of the other positions in my business, quote unquote business, because I was trying to keep all the income for myself. I wasn't even giving the best time, energy, and effort to the projects I did because I was trying to keep all the money for myself. Whereas these people are trying to structure the best deal for everyone involved. And, you know, they take the smallest bite of the pie. And when they get a chunk of the pie, they put it back into their business because they believe, okay, this money that's coming in, it just allows me to do my job and serve the people at a higher level. And when I realized that, you know, the gears in my mind started to turn, the gears in my mind started to turn and I realized, you know, I've been failing all this time in this one area because this is the one area where I refuse to collaborate, you know, where I'm trying to be, you know, the top dog in, uh, in, um, it's, it's kind of like this. Let me, um. When I started to, you know, it was at that moment where I started to realize, you know, I had to just kind of restructure some things. Let me kind of put it into perspective what I mean by building a business from impact. Because when I started to think of, you know, the, the world from a different, from, from a less competitive frame of mind, when I started to realize I had to collaborate with the world, when I had to empathize with people, when these principles, you know, started to become more important. I stepped back and realized I had to restructure my business 
altogether or it would never function. You know, it involved raising the price, you know, because at first my price point was a price point that could only support me. So I had to raise my price and then I had to think if I, you know, who are the pieces in this business that are, you know, that I lack right now and all these jobs that I'm doing that I shouldn't be doing that I can plug in, you know, so I can get a better result for the end customer. So I can collaborate. Who, who can I collaborate with so I can make the best impact on the person that I'm trying to serve? Okay, and so I started restructuring the entire business. I, boost, I bumped the price up and I started to empathize with people. I started to get into the emotions and the minds of other people. What are the positions that I need? Okay, I need someone to get the clients for me. Okay, affiliates, an affiliate manager. I need someone to, you know, uh, actually interview the client for me. I need an interviewer. I need someone to actually write for the client. I need a cover designer. I started thinking about all these ways I could collaborate with people to make a better product because I'm just one person. If I collaborate with these people, then I can make a 10 out of 10 product because each of us can focus on our specialization. They can, they specialize in these things where I'm just pretty good at them. They specialize. And so the end customer will be more happy. It will be a battle of collaboration between us and the end customer. I started to empathize. Okay, what is the deal that these people want? Okay, how do I structure a deal that makes everybody happy, even if it results in me taking less of the pie? Okay, I can, you know, let's say, you know, the affiliates, what do you, you know, what do they want? Okay, they want money to handle whatever problem that they face in their life. So the price goes up because I'm going to have to end up giving this affiliate $2,000 because that's the deal that would be most ideal for him in his lifetime to participate in this vision of mine. All my only, my only purpose in this entire movement is to structure a vision and then empathize with the people involved in this vision in a way where I can give them the best, you know, collaborative deal. Okay. And so there's the writer, uh, you know, as beforehand, I did try this, but I was paying the writers like, you know, what, something that I wouldn't even want to be paid. And I was taking a bigger chunk for myself. They get like 20%, I get like 80%. And I started to think, okay, but every writer would ghost me or turn in bad work. And I started thinking, you know, empathizing. Why is that? Oh, because you're not paying them enough. What is the best collaborative effort between you two? Maybe we got to pay this writer a couple thousands of dollars. You know, maybe we have to pay them more than what they're worth or more than what they feel they're worth per hour so they can actually stick along and give their best shot and give their best effort and care about this vision. You know, what does the customer want? What is everything, you know, what, what are the amenities that I, you know, I started, collab, you know, thinking from a collaborative frame of mind because I realized that's how every other business in the world functions. And when I started to think like that, you know, my goals, my visions, everything that I wanted for this business had began to shift. You know, I posted it on Instagram, like I said, I mean, at first I wanted a million dollars. You know, I wanted the ClickFunnels 2 Comic Cup Award. I wanted... You know, uh, you know, I just, I, I just wanted, you know, I would have like ideas of what I would do with the money. I get a new car, I go on vacation, all these different things. But when things began to shift and I started to envision what are all the other things, the envisions that people that I, you know, that I'll need in this business, what are the visions that they have in their mind? I started to become fascinated with that. And, you know, that idea of, because that was my ultimate goal, Mark, just make a million dollars and just get the two comma cup award and make enough money off this business, despite what everybody else is feeling with it, despite what everybody else is making to move on and start making music. And then you'll be the most significant. Then you'll be on the main stage. But the more I shifted away from that, like I said, the more the emotions and, you know, the vividness of what other people were feeling started to come into play. And I started to, you know, even greater purpose and mission for this business became clear. It's like, wait a minute. You're not just giving people books. You know, the, you know, this, when, 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 when I started to shift the attention away from me, like I said, the detail and start to shift the attention away from the people I collaborate with, including the clients, this, this is something that, you know, became apparent. These books aren't just books. Okay. Books uh, that I'm writing for people are instrumental in society. Stories are instrumental in society. This is something I realized. They change lives. Okay, and that's probably why this client is coming to you in the first place. He wants to change lives. I started to become in tune with this greater purpose and started to investigate. But what does that even mean? How will we change lives? I did some research and it became clear to me, you know, after a few days of sitting on it. Everything, our lifetimes are predicted by a pattern. Okay, 
And you might call it a habit. It's just something you do over and over and over and consistently. It predicts the course of our lifetimes. Okay, like if you go and you wake up and you sell drugs every morning, you know, that pattern will result in this result inevitably most of the time. And like I said, this is something that came to clarity after I focused my attention on things that weren't me, on things that weren't selfish. Um, but how are patterns put into place? I started to think, man, okay. When I do something over and over again, it's because I have this belief about what it, result in, what it will result in. Ain't that the reason why everyone does something over and over again? But what is a belief? And long story short, you get to the bottom of the, you know, the wire and a belief is just a story. So people's lives are predicted by the patterns that they pursue. And those patterns are put into place by a story. You know, people are either motivated to, to reward or away from punishment. You know, we're motivated by both, but I'm saying more, more so one than the other. OK, some people are motivated more by rewards. Some people are motivated more by punishment, although we were motivated by both. So here's the deal. Lives are our lives are predicted by patterns and patterns are put into place by stories. Think of it like this. You wake up in the morning, you, you, you pursue the pattern of brushing your teeth every morning because there's a story planned in your head. If you're motivated by reward that if I brush my teeth every day. This is a story you tell yourself. When I wake up at 60, my teeth will be nice and clean and I have a nice smile. If you're motivated by punishment, you wake up and pursue that pattern every day. Brush, brush, brush. Oh, when I wake up at 60, you know, I won't have cavities in my teeth and I have a hurting, pussy mouth. That's what you think. So the pattern that you put in place is on the basis of the story that you're telling yourself about that opportunity that you're pursuing. And I learned this by following Russell Brunson and combing through the way he told stories to influence the patterns of people's lives. He's raised over more than 420, I believe, multimillionaires through the efforts at ClickFunnels because he would tell the people who bought his products stories to shift their beliefs. That's something he saw in the book. He said, Epiphany Bridge stories, the stories he tells is what rewrites the belief that people, you know, that, that have people that people hold in their mind, that people harbor. Okay, and so when I started to think about it like that, I realized, okay, a lot of these people that want writing, you know, material coming to to me to write a book because they want to influence the beliefs of people in the communities that they come from. I had somebody, you know, that just died, you know, got shot up because they were, you know, you know, from 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 my neighborhood. You know, I'm not going to say why, because you know, it's just speculation at this point in time. But we all have our suspicions why, and you know. Maybe if he had my story, his story would be different, you know, because people wake up every morning and do the wrong thing because they have a negative story. Think about it. people wake up every morning and they decide to sell drugs and gangbang because they have a story in their head. They're following that pattern because a story in their head tells them that that's a pattern of success. Maybe they listen to a rapper or maybe they listen to a mafia movie or something like that. And they see these people sell drugs and gangbang and they're living the life that I want. So they're telling them, if I follow this story that this person followed, I mean, if I follow the patterns that this person followed, this is the story that they're telling themselves, then I'll have the success that they have and that, that I want. Okay, and so these are negative stories that are harbored in our, our minds every day. Maybe you had the story in your head because your parents and the society around you that you observe, okay, um, this is the life that I want. And people were telling me every day, if I follow the pattern of, you know, go to college, get married, have kids, get the job, and then die, you know, if I follow that pattern, you know, I have the results that the people that have the results that I want tell me that, you know, that I should. Oh, too much words at once. I'm sorry. You're telling yourself, you know, that's the story that you tell yourself. OK, that's you say the story that you tell yourself because of the people you observe in society and because of what your parents and everybody else around you tell, tells you. They say, hey, follow this pattern. And you'll have success. So you, you've been following that pattern. But. You veered from that pattern as an idealist, as a creator, as a designer, because someone maybe like Robert Kiyosaki came along and gave you the Think and Grow Rich book. And, you know, they gave you the story of their life and the story of their life over had written over the story that you had in your mind already of, you know, go to college, get job, die. You, re you read their story. You saw their result. And that story overwritten it overrided the story that you already had in your mind, which resulted in you following a different pattern and having a different lifetime. I'm sorry I stumbled over that. I hope that makes sense.
And so it kind of dawned on me, these people who are business owners, entrepreneurs, these people who are doing special things in the world, them, them and I influence and change generations so long as we get them and organize their story the right way. This is something that you know, came to my mind. Maybe somebody that's you know, playing the story of a rapper and then embodying the patterns of that rapper you know, because they believe it will result in rap success or something like that. When, to be honest, it's an outlier and that, that's, that pattern usually results in death, jail, or a bored lifetime. You know, maybe they come back because they hear a story of an entrepreneur from their neighborhood and that story of the entrepreneur rewrites the story of that, you know, that's in their head and results in a different pattern. So the more stories we get out to these communities, the more stories that we get out to the world, the more patterns that we change and therefore the better the world is overall because there are better lived lifetimes. That's something that came to my mind. It's a clarity that came to mind. And when that came to my mind, suddenly I felt a tugging away from self-significance, self-indulgence and all these things. It wasn't complete, but I started to think a little bit. Maybe I've been doing things wrong all along. You know, the idea that I could change something for someone above my, beyond myself, the, the idea that that was in my power in a realistic sense already without being on this stage, without being significant, significant kind of instantly flipped the switch. And I started to lean a little bit more like, you know, towards serve, serving, service. You know, I started to think and consider what I could really do for people, what I could really do for the world. And I looked at all the entrepreneurs who followed that same pathway and I realized their significance is unrivaled. If I wanted to have what I wanted, then this was the way. That's what I realized. That's what struck in my mind. That that was the piece that was missing and I was convinced. And so I began to think, man, we're in this situation, you know, we have to pay this rent. We have to pay this, you know, we, we, we have to put food on the table. We have to live somehow. Maybe this is the way to do it. And so I started to, to set my sights, man, set my sights on a plan, on a goal. After all this happened, after all the connections I lost, after, after all these negative emotions and feeling, after being at the bottom, after being stranded with no way out, how will I get redemption? How will I get redemption for all that I caused? And so we went... Me and my girlfriend, we went to the drawing board and started to plot it out. Here's what we're going to do. Rent's due in about a month. Okay. Uh, And we have to get that paid, obviously. We also have to have enough to fuel this business and my acting career and her acting career. Okay. This is the path to redemption that we laid out. We were going to, one, drive as delivery drivers. You know, here in the city of Los Angeles, three, three hours in the morning, three hours at night to pay for the basic expenses and a little bit of rent, basic expenses, food, you know, uh, you know, living materials, you know, things like that, the basic stuff and a little bit of rent. And uh, if we had something left over, we put it into the business and try to fuel it. Okay. And the second thing we're going to do is or, you know, is restructure the businesses that we had in place, the ideas that we have in place, this writing business. To be collaborative, because that's you know that was the way, that was the method, that was the mark. Okay, and so I immediately began to go into the effort of, you know, structuring the the the, the you know empathizing with people and structuring the collect collabor correct collaborations around this vision, around this this business idea that I had. Okay, and I wrote it down on the piece of paper. Let me try to find it for you, actually. What I wrote down. Uh, I wrote down the positions that I had to have filled out. Sorry if this paper is loud. You know. Come on, come on, tiki masala. Come on. Almost there. I'm sorry, I don't write down a lot, but she writes a lot. So, it's a lot. okay, okay. Here. So, I we immediately went to the drawing board and write what... Who are the people that we need? Russell Brunson always said this is not the what. It's not what skills you need to acquire. It's who do you need to acquire that always ha- already has those skills? And so I just we immediately went to the drawing board and I wrote, these are the people that I need. Okay, that will help me on this path to the ultimate redemption. Okay, so I need writers. I need affiliates and an affiliate manager. I need uh, video editors. I need salespeople, interviewers, 
content managers and uh that's pretty much all i need if i have all these the ideas if i collaborate with these people in the right way through empathy and understanding what they need from this collaboration in order to be sold on this vision then the business will inevitably work and uh we'll have we'll have the rent paid and we'll have the success we need to fuel my music career and her acting career and so the first thing i had to do even before i got to finding these people was peel back on some of the people that i already working with so i finished up the two thousand dollar order of uh, the two thousand dollar uh deal that i was already working on and then i had a other multi thousand dollar deal on the table with another guy but uh i had promised him already before this big epiphany that i had to collaborate with people instead of spending all my time doing something that wasn't my expertise uh i already had promised this person that i would be the sole writer for this book and then i'd fill it out for him and so i actually had to end up fizzling out that deal and everything came back to a clean slate and so we started about 30 days away from away from away from i got a little list away from paying this uh uh paying this um this rent and we just started tearing through it on a mission to kind of uh get the right people in place and let this business take off you know and uh change our lives and change the world and so you're probably wondering that path to redemption you know, how did it go? I mean, what, what, what was the end result? You know, fast forward about 30 days later and the current day is March 24th. We're about nine days away from having rent due. OK, um, I remember riding in the car with my girlfriend the other day. And she asked me, if you had a million dollars right now, what would you do? And I kind of just thought about it for a second. Like, huh? What would I do? And I said, nothing. I don't, I really don't know what it is. I don't have a need for it. You know? From the beginning of March or really mid-February to now, for some reason, life has made such a transition. You know? Currently, I'm not holding any clients because I'm still in the process of reforming this business as a complete collaborative effort. I'm trying to do a little bit more research on the players that I need and the deals that would best support them. Everybody in this company has to rise. The tide is to rise, everybody. And so I'm still configuring all the information around that. But even still, though I'm in the process of getting all the ducks in the row and that I haven't gotten to the reward yet. Life has done a complete 180. You know, I talked to my family, you know, where, whereas there was a little tension before we've reconciled everything. I talked to my family probably like once, twice a week or something like that, maybe once a week sometimes, but the conversations just seem to flow naturally. There's no tension. There's no animosity. You know, the relationship that I'm in with my girlfriend, we really haven't had any hiccups, but somehow it's gotten even better. It's gotten even more sweet, even more perfect. You know, I remember being at that hotel and not much has changed and feeling like I was at the bottom of the world. Feeling lost, feeling empty, feeling emasculated. And even still... You know, I just kind of feel lighter. Here's what happened in that last month, by the way. From March to March 30th, as we know, um, there's been a pandemic around the world and the world is kind of in shambles right now. Thing number two that happened, um, we can't really delivery drive anymore because there's a rumbling in the back of her car and I believe their brake, her brake pad has run thin and uh, don't really know how we're going to solve. Well, I know how we're going to solve that, but it's going to be a bit of an issue, right? But for some reason, I wake up every morning. I'm just happy, man. I just have, I just, I just wake up in the morning and I just smile. I feel fulfilled. The connections that I have with people feel at peace, at calm. And I think 
though much not much has changed from sitting in that hotel, so much has changed because of the internal difference that's been made. I think when I had that mark of I want a million dollars by the end of 2019, you know, when I had these big goals in place, I was feeling how I felt because I believe that the monetary value of my business or the monetary value of my bank account defined me. And I was kind of like craving a business that would give me the significance that I wanted. I wanted to be the one. I wanted to be the face. I wanted to be superstar. I wanted to be famed. I wanted to be revered. And if I wasn't having that and, you know, tracking that in a monetary form, I consider myself a failure. And because I consider myself a failure, because I was low in my personal self-esteem, I was projecting that energy towards the people in my life, which caused the calamity that came and was received by me. They were reacting to the energy and the value that I held of myself. I felt if I didn't have money, I was valueless. But ever since I switched to a collaborative frame of mind, I realized that The gain that I can with you know take out of this for myself is negligible. It is simply a a byproduct of the impact that I have made in people's lives. And it's simply a fuel to make more impact. And so the shift towards other people and helping other people and understanding other people has manifested in myself as a feeling of wholeness. When I go to pitch somebody on a business, you know, on a deal, when I go to have somebody on this podcast, when I go to interact with the people that I'm interacting with, there's no fear. There's no anxiety. There's no ill and slimy feeling. It feels good. It feels wholesome. It feels organic. It feels natural. Because my attentions are lined and primed to give everybody the best deal and the best collaboration. It's something about understanding my role as a conduit to help the world around me that has healed everything that I was feeling even even without the results that I desired before. You know, it's even associated with, you know, empathy is associated with well-being. Collaboration in a collaborative mindset is associated with well-being. You know, I don't know whether you can have a collaborative mindset without being well or whether the collaborative mindset comes first and then you become well. It's the chicken or the egg scenario. But if you look at it like this, it becomes more easy to understand. Think of the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's a hierarchy of basically how well you are. Okay. How how well your needs are being fulfilled. And the more you go up the pyramid, the more you empathize and collaborate with the world around you, the more you understand that there are other people in the world and that they matter. And I feel like this is a little bit of what I experienced. You start at the bottom of the pyramid and there's physiological needs. It's a bottom layer of the pyramid. The first need has to be met or else the other needs that you you know, need in your life won't even be thought about. So the bottom of it is physiological needs. You need to eat. You need water. That's a purely selfish thing. You got to, you know, you got to, you know, you got to get air. You know, you got to breathe for yourself before you can help others. It's purely selfish, though. Physiological needs. The next layer up is safety needs. It's still not a safe, you know, it's still not a, you know, a statement on other people existing in the world besides yourself. It's selfish. Safety needs. It only recognizes people in the world as a threat. And that is something that you collaborate with. It, it, it recognizes competition. And that's where I was. Feeling the scarcity of all the resources around me. Feeling like, you know, feeling like, feeling like I was trapped. Feeling like, you know, like I was prey. Feeling like my parents and everybody in the world was against me, even though they were supporting me. Safety needs. You know, I didn't feel safe and secure within my own identity. You're in competition. But even then you're starting to recognize that other people exist in the world. When you have physiological needs, obviously, and you're going on to safety needs, you're more well. 
than if you just needed your physiological needs met. You get even more well as you go up the pyramid. The next level is love and belonging. Now you're aware that other people exist and you're still in consumer in a consumer mode. You want love from them. You want belonging. You're aware that there's community, though. The more well you become, the more you become aware of other people. The more you empathize, the more you collaborate. You want love. You want to fit in in this thing. Okay? The next level is prestige. You know? You want these people. You're starting to become more aware that not only these people exist, but they feel things. They think things. And when they think things, you want them to think more highly of you. You want them to think more highly of you. Which is still like you want significance. You want people to praise you. Not as competitive though. You want them to think highly of you, okay? Because you care what they think now. As you become more well. You start to empathize more. And then on the top of the pyramid is self-mastery. Being all that you can be. And I believe that that's a statement on being the best you can be. So that others can experience that. It's a complete statement on empathy and collaboration. The more well you become, the more you go up the pyramid. And I think this is the journey I kind of experienced or realized in its fullness. And then the top level of the pyramid, which is hardly even listed in the pyramid, is self-transcendence. It means to literally go beyond yourself. Be bigger than yourself. Don't be trying to boost yourself with your business opportunities, but rather make a business that raises all, you know, be one face in a face of, you know, in a crowd of many that's raising, you know, in a crowd of many that's that's geared to impact the world positively. The top of the pyramid is collaboration. The top of the pyramid is empathy. You know, I remember driving in the Hollywood Hills when we were able to deliver a drive and delivering to all these people in the Hollywood Hills that were rich. And I remember feeling so weird because I'm like, man, ain't these rich people like a little prejudice? You know, especially against people like me, you know, the way I dress, the way, I, you know, skin color, all this stuff, you know. And I remember all of them coming out of their house and giving, you know, taking their bags of food and they're radiant and they're asking me how I am. They're happy. This is some of the happiest people I deliver to. And it puzzled me for a second. I remember going home and talking to my father on the phone and telling him about it. And he's like, he said something to me that really made the earth stood still for a second. He said, prejudice is a poor man's mindset. And I think that's where a lot of people in the world got it wrong. People believe billionaires hoard their wealth and all these things and they're, they're prejudiced and they want to oppress the other people. But when you really peel up back the layers and look at it, the billionaires have made more impact on the world than anybody else. Because businesses are just conduits to solve issues. And the capital that they're taking out of their pockets and putting back into the business solve more problems for us at the bottom. Everyone who's rich has done more for the world than anyone who's ever poor. Like Elon Musk said, you're paid in proportion to the problems that you solve for humanity. And all rich people do is solve big problems. That's why they're rich. That's why they're rich. They're rich because they're at the head of movements. And they're collaborating with people who aren't rich like you and I. The people who work at Amazon for them. You're part of their movement. You're not separate. You're not against. But your competitive mindset is telling you that even though you're collaborating with them as we speak. If you have a job, you're collaborating with billionaires. If you live somewhere, you're collaborating with billionaires. You're coming together and solving problems for each other. You're paying them money that they can use and they're giving you a place to live, something to eat, a quicker, easier delivery service. Everything's mutual. When I came to a collaborative mindset, the idea of being the face on the side of a building kind of stopped tickling me. And I, I, I think that's why I became more and more well. You know, I understood why I didn't want the Rolls Royce and the Lamborghini, which I own these things one day without a doubt because I'm a big fan of wealth. But these aren't at the forefront of my mind like they were. I feel like I have purpose now. And that's where the entire idea of the grand design, you know, came from. I realized, look, I came from such a selfish and low down place where I was trying to take and take and take. And I experienced that every day. I go out and have conversations with people who want to only have conversations to not to help me and help me understand something and make me feel better, but to boost their own significance, to boost their own status, to position themselves in my mind a certain type of way. They're only really caring about them. They don't even realize they're talking to somebody. 
you know. And so, what is it? You know, that's a statement on how people are living. On what you know, I believe you know, in the world we're at a turning, but we're at a fork in the road. And the success of humanity is going to be based strictly on the levels of empathy that we can curate in society. There's so many different factions. This is what I'm realizing as a result of all the changes that I've experienced. There are so many factions. And all of them, while they started benevolent at their core, they're tainted by a competitive mindset. You know, a lot of people like, you know, I'm black. A lot of people feel like because I'm black, I have to be against police. A lot of Democrats feel like they have to be against Republicans. A lot of, you know, there, there, every faction has an enemy has someone that they're going against, you know, overarching force. And it, it melts them in that identity because they, and it helps, you know, it keeps them in a competitive frame of mind. Poor people, for some reason, have to hate and eat the rich when we've been collaborating all along. And when I realized the impactfulness of this mindset switch, it changed everything for me. It made me realize that beyond getting rich, you know, I have to, I, I want to design a vision that can make everyone rich, that can make everyone wealthy. And it created things that I aspire to even beyond this business opportunity. I want this business, and I know this year to be a multi-million dollar business. I know that much. I know that. I can bet bet on it because it's a collaborative effort, because it's a collaborative vision. And uh, I will announce, you know, when everything's together and when, you know, how people can participate. If you want your story written by us, we're Memoir Launch, uh, I'll, I'll be announcing, you know, when that when we're taking in new clients uh, in, in future podcasts. But it's a collaborative vision. My writers are going to be rich. My my interviews are going to be rich or well off at least. They're going to be fed. They're going to be okay. They're going to be housed. They're going to be good. They're going to be healthy. You know, and because because I'm empathizing, I'm trying to solve issues for them with this vision. I'm trying to solve issues for the client. And like I said, it's birthed aspirations beyond that. It's birthed this idea of the grand design. Like we talked about what the grand design is. The grand design is the way the world can be if the people who have visions all sought out the best collaborations for the people who worked under those visions. The designers, the people who have visions, if they were able to get out of the competitive mindset that sets that they were in currently that were holding them back from creating mass movements you know if they were able to create those mass movements from a place of collaboration and be you know the rising tide that raises all ships in that regard like if there's a designer out there that's in, comp- in a competitive mindset but they're trying to solve the problem of homelessness for example how can that person get into collaborative mindset and begin to collaborate and turn that collaboration, you know, create a collaboration around that vision that becomes massive. That's, that's what this podcast is all about. You know, first of all, the people below them, they're winning, they're enjoying life because we're collaborating, we're making the best deals for them. And because we're all geared to solve this, 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 this idea that this person has, because we're all winning because of it, how will it impact the world? How will this homelessness problem be solved that much quicker? Now, if we could do that in factions, maybe we can do that for the world. These are the ideas that are going behind my, you know, in my head. And if we have designers in every industry creating these mass movements that lifts everybody up, the grand design is the world that results from it. The grand design is the world that results from it. The world has stagnated. Look at the city that you're in. Maybe the number one architect has something to say, but everybody's trying to marginalize him and he doesn't realize if he can collaborate, you know, that's that, you know, that's what, you know, he'll create something. If he can collaborate and learn how to collaborate in a way that people flock to this movement, it becomes a mass movement. Maybe these cities become beautiful. Baltimore City, I'm from Baltimore City. I can see what that city can be. It can have waterways like it's like it's Italy. Maybe, maybe, maybe the buildings are floating. Who who knows, man? Flying cars. Now I know flying cars might not exactly be possible, but uh 
You know, think about people like Elon Musk. He's the designer and mass movements are happening around the electric car movement around the, you know, the, the, you know, the, uh, the movement where he wants to send people to space, you know, the, the neural link movement, you know, all these different movements that he's bringing people around. If everybody, particularly experts and people who care mostly in each industry can build mass movements like he is, what world can we produce? What world can we produce? And I remember a long time ago. Kanye is one of my favorite people. And I remember him saying that the world, I believe the world can be saved by design. And I didn't understand what he meant then, but I understand now. And I believe that the grand design becomes created from achieving a universal identity in all people. Which is just to say this. You know, even though that there are different factions in the world... The faction, you know, the idea of us as humans come before any faction. Like when things break out like this coronavirus, then it, su- it suddenly stops matter who's Democrat, who's Republican, who's gay, who's straight, who's black, who's white. And we're trying to help everybody out. Those of us who are in a collaborative mind frame because we're human. The university ident- identity is the, the, the number one collaborative is, is the highest form of a collaborative mind frame. Whereas the opposite, a competitive identity is like someone who's, this is my gang and I don't like that other rival gang. This is my country. This is what all nationalism and patriotism is. And patriotism and nationalism, I'll be first to tell you, is stupid. I'm sorry, it's stupid. You know, oh, this is my chunk of land. This is my gang. We're Americans. Screw the gangs over there. You notice when coronavirus hit the fan, suddenly we work with Korea, suddenly we work on China, suddenly we work with Cuba. That's the way it's supposed to be. The ultimate collaborative mind frame. The universal identity. The identity of human coming before any other identity that we might harbor. If aliens was to come down this mug mug right now. It wouldn't matter who was what or what country was what. We'd be one. We would be one country. We would be planet Earth and we'd be humanity and we'd be against them. That's the universal identity. You know, we have, you know, uh, categories or a hierarchy of our identities inside of us. And for a lot of people, the hu- you know, humanity comes last. Their gang comes first. Their race becomes first. Their 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 job, their career. Maybe you're a police officer. Blue lives matter. Their career com- becomes first before human lives, before humans. You know, if we can tell the appropriate stories, which can be done through this business, this memoir launch. You know, like I said, I'll tell you in future podcasts when we accept the new clients. Um. If we can have that done, you know, and have the human identity come before the identity, like when Nipsey Hussle died, you know, suddenly the identity of Crip or blood was replaced by the identity of man. We black people, let's come together. We human, let's come together. And suddenly they collaborated in an effort that was beautiful and peaceful. If we can rearrange the hierarchy that people have within them. You know, and all come to a collaborative effort as human beings. You know, and the human identity becomes before the identity of your gang or your, your race, color, religion, creed, national nationality, all that stuff. Then imagine the problems in the world that we can solve. Imagine how we can design the world at large. It takes a few designers and a few mass movements to create something beautiful. I envision it when I when I die, when I leave this planet as at old age, there will be no more countries. There will be no more borders. There will be humans and there will be the world. That is all. There will be one world and one world governing body. You know, now whether that's a governing body or whether that's just humans in general, you know, governing themselves, I don't know, but I'm just using governing body as, you know, a word to describe it. There will be one There'll be one identity. There'll be the universal identity. Imagine all how, how fast we could solve, you know, let's say world hunger. If everybody collaborated in a mass movement to solve world hunger. Imagine if we all collaborated in a mass movement to solve, you know, um, uh, let's say homelessness. And there was already a designer in that space that was the expert in the head of that movement that we can all just we can lean and all get behind him and then there's a, or him or her and then there's another designer that we all lean and get behind him or her you know we can all lean and work and collaborate as humans and what kind of future can we create 
That is the grand designer design. And we as designers, our job is to take these ideas in our head. And this is what this podcast is all about, teaching people to do. As I discovered for myself, take these ideas outside of our head and create mass movements around them and design the world. Our vision by collaborating with the right people to get it done and not being selfish and not being competitive and not being the one at the helm all the time. I believe, like Kanye said, I believe the world can be saved by design. It's by design. And you know what? This is a little bonus caveat. But I believe the changes that we want in the world can happen quicker than we think. Ideas can be spread in a blink of an eye. But who has the keys to the system? In the media. You know, the media. Society at large. You know, regular society at large is a competitive force. You know. Think about, you know, ideas can be spread in the world in an instant, in an instant. It's about having the right designers or the right designer at the head of spreading these ideas. Think about the idea of fear that came with the idea of the coronavirus. It was spread in an instant because that distribution channel to get ideas out into the world is already there. Man, when the coronavirus popped out. Mass fear was instant because the NBA sent you an email, you know, Wendy sent you an email, Cinemark, companies that has nothing to do with you or the coronavirus sent you an email. You know, BMW probably sent you an email about the coronavirus, you know, freaking waste management probably sent you an email about the coronavirus. The distribution channel to make changes in the world is already there. But, you know, so if we could spread ideas that were positive and not fear-based ideas through that channel, we can make change overnight. Same way the idea of this thing that we should fear spread around the world. Maybe we could spread the idea that we should stop being misogynistic. Maybe we should spread the idea that we should stop being homophobic or arming against the LGBTQ community. Maybe we could spread the idea that, I don't know, just any idea, you know? the distribution channel to change the world and spread ideas worldwide is already there. How fast did you know about, let's say, Kobe's death? You know? This distribution channel has been used for everything except, okay, boom, let's show a video or story that rewrites the ideas that are in people's heads. Let's give us a rewriting of the ideas that people hold about gang violence. Or about homophobia. You know what I mean? Now, there are a lot of distribution channels, or uh, some parts of the distribution channel is being used for this. And people say, oh, it's an agenda. They're shoving it down our throats. No, that's what you need to hear. I hate when people say that. That's what you need to hear. You need to hear about how these people are human just like you. You have to put that identity first. When people come forward and they say Joe Biden has been touching kids. Don't be talking about, oh, well, Trump, Trump did this. Oh, you trying. Oh, we need somebody to beat Trump. It doesn't matter. We are human beings. I don't care if this is your guy and he's against that other faction. That's pitiful if you support him. We're human beings, bro. We're human beings. And that trumps anything. No pun intended. And so regardless of whether he's against that faction or not, you have to throw him out. Because that's not what humanity stands for. And so, man, designers, man, we can work towards this grand design. We can change the world. If you have something that you have to say in the world... It's all about gearing people around your vision through empathy, empathizing with your staff, empathizing with the crew that you want to take to the top and collaborating based off of that empathy. Understanding what is it that people want? What is the components that this flower, that this seed needs to grow into a flower? You know, and them stems that you're growing are going to be the legs of your mass movement, be the legs of your vision. That's really all I have to say, man. It's Dallas and it's the Grand Design Podcast. And I appreciate you so much for what you know listening and uh you know being along this far, you know, into the journey. 
Um, if you like this podcast, please rate the podcast. You know, leave me a comment on Instagram. My Instagram is Juni Prayer, J-U-N-I-E-P-R-A-Y-E-R. Um, you know, I'm the black dude with dreads in the profile picture. Uh, I might not have dreads in my profile picture quite yet. But um, I have nothing on my profile. You know, it's a barren profile. Uh, reach out and talk to me. I want to hear your thoughts. I want to hear your experiences, what you think, what you believe. You know, I'm, I'm going to start actually having guests on this podcast. So if you want to be a guest on this podcast, reach out to me. I want to talk to you about your ideas and things like that. Um, if you want a book written, you know, because you, you maybe you have a community that you came from, a society that you came from, an idea that you know can change the world, but you don't really know how to explain it or put it into words or put it out into the word, in, world in a way that's effective, that actually changes things. Uh, we're the experts to do that, and um, yeah, we're at memoir launch, okay? That's us. And so if you want to do that, and it's probably been a few days or a few weeks since this podcast episode has aired, uh, reach out, and uh, I'd, be, I'd love to work with you. I'd love to talk to you about it. Um, you know, creating a book, a, a sales memoir, I call it, because it's not a regular memoir. It's completely different. A regular memoir is like a regular letter versus a sales letter. A regular memoir is like when you, as an entrepreneur, as someone that's coming up in the world, you try to tell someone, you have, the, you, you have an epiphany and it's so strong and so powerful and you go and try to tell, I say your friend or family member about it and they're like, oh, cool, that's great, wow, yeah, whatever. They, they're not really impacted by it. They don't have the same vitriol and the same emotion behind that epiphany as you do. They don't really understand why it's important. That's what a regular memoir is like. When you're coming up in the world, having all these ideas, you're different, but you can't really explain it in a way that causes that same difference in other people. And so they go and live their regular boring lives and you you kind of have survivor's guilt like, man, you, I wish you would have understood this stuff. Versus when people like Russell Brunson tell a story to their friends and their family and their audience and they change and they become multimillionaires because there's a way to organize and optimize your story in a way that actually impacts people. That's the difference between having a regular presentation that doesn't sell anything and a, and a perfect webinar, a sales webinar that actually sells people. When people buy, there's a shift in their identity. They believe that the product that you're giving them can make a different result than the one they're experiencing. You've created them, them a desire for that different result. There's a difference between a regular webinar that just teaches and a regular in a webinar that actually sells and creates shifts in identity. You know, there's a difference between a letter that just eh, doesn't really cause a shift in identity. It might inform you of some things in a sales letter written in copy that actually creates a different identity in your head. It creates a sale in your mind. It changes you. There's a way that you could have told your family and friends that epiphany that you had that changes them, that made them understand, that made them just as excited as you are. And that's the difference between a regular memoir, which, you know, writers, they don't, that's all they write because they're not marketers. They don't really understand how this psychology of humans work. They're just good at writing. They write regular memoirs. If you want a sales memoir, come to us at Memoir Launch. We're going to hook you up. We're going to make, craft you a message that makes a difference. And it's also profitable, by the way. That's just a bonus. No one cares about money, obviously. But it's also profitable. <laughs> and it also brings people, you know, leads and uh, sales to your actual main business if you set everything up right, which we do the launch and the marketing and all that stuff for absolutely free, by the way. Um, as of right now, that might change in the future, but, uh, but the book is, you know, you, we will ship you physical copies of your book also is the thing that you really want to worry about. Uh, that's, that's the real payment, not what you want to worry about. That's what you will be paying for. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, other than that, yeah, yeah, we, we, it also helps you when you write things like that, it helps you build, you know, maybe you've been feeling lonely and isolated as an entrepreneur. It not only helps you impact and change lives, when those people are impacting and change, it also builds the community that you've probably been craving. Because I've been, you know, my birthday just passed March 9th and I send out a wish on my birthday for community, for people who are like me, who understand me. And so it builds that community of people. It builds your tribe. It builds your mass movement. And, you know, that's what memoir launched. That's what you know, wow, this is just a random pitch out of nowhere. Well, it's not even ready yet. You know, I'll tell you about that stuff in the future. Whatever. We're not going to talk too much about that. I don't want to tank this with all the sales messages. Blah, 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 blah. <clears throat> anyway, man. Yeah. Let's start designing your vision. Let's take those ideas out of your mind and make them into a mass movement. And uh, we're going to discuss a little bit about that in uh, the next episode. We're going to start having guests on. I appreciate you so much for listening along. Like I said, rate, comment, subscribe, share, do everything about this. Um, in the next episode, we might be talking about the homeless and what we can do for them right now in the middle of this coronavirus pandemic. 
Um, I don't even want to talk. I don't even know why I said coronavirus pandemic. Everybody's saying that, and I'm beating a dead horse, and people causing mass pandemonium, and I don't mean to do that. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, well, pretty much that's the end of this episode. Man, thank you so much, man. Please reach out. This is Dallas, and this is the Grand Design Podcast. Peace. Terrible news. A bunch of crazy socialists just decided they didn't like your opinions or your ways of life that much. You have 30 days to build a counter movement of supporters before they cancel your business and your livelihood crashes and burns. How is it given 30 days we create a counter social movement around your business, turning your customers into true fans in the process and rally enough support to survive the cancel? Interesting question, right? That's the exact question I asked 30 insane entrepreneurs who've actually done it before. That's right. I gathered some of the top minds in business, some with millions of followers behind their social movements, and recorded their answers for the world to hear on a free live summit I'm hosting. Interested in hearing their answers? Well, you can register for the free summit, the Surviving the Cancel Summit, at survivingthecancel.com. Wait, so why are you still here? Aren't you interested in how some of the sharpest minds to ever exist in business are actively creating social movements around their business that shape the literal culture, the literal world that we see around us visually every single day? Like, this summit is going to be absolutely insane. These business moguls, whatever you want to call them, are going to step-by-step outline exactly how in 30 days they will unlock the hidden social movement within their business to one, destroy cancel culture, and to two, affect their customers and clients on such a deep level that they become evangelists for their message. It is going to be insane stuff and you do not want to miss this one. So, again, the summit is at www.survivingthecancel.com. So come and finally learn the difference between being a marketer, someone who can create sales, and being something else, someone who actually can make an impact in this world.